Hey guys, we're nearing the end of season one, and Kim and I both wanted to give you a heartfelt thanks for supporting the show. A lot goes into each episode behind the scenes, and it means a lot to us that you tune in week after week and let us know how we're doing. That being said, please consider supporting us on Patreon. Even just a dollar a month will go a long way to ensuring we can continue to put the show out there and make it as good as it can be. Of course, if you can't support the show financially, that's fine too. You can still leave us a five-star rating and review on Stitcher and iTunes, because that helps a ton. And to sweeten the deal, we have stickers. You'll get some for free if you leave us a review and send an email with the screen name you used in your review to phantomspacefunhouse at gmail.com. Be sure to include your address so we know where to send them to. Again, thanks so much for listening. We love you guys, and we hope you enjoy the show. Now, without any further ado, episode 11, Pod Dreams. The pod glowed a deep, soothing blue in the half-light of early morning. Stella gazed fondly at the tiny child, suspended in the pod's imitation amniotic fluid. Its eyelashes had grown in, and wisps of floating hair covered its head. The wisps were nondescript at the moment, but they would be blonde and curly. And though its eyes were closed, Stella knew that when they opened, they'd be hazel. Lately, Stella had been struggling to find sleep. Her mind had a tendency to ramble past midnight, and her joints ached from their annual spring arthritic flare-ups. On such nights, the gentle beeping of the pod and its kaleidoscope of muted pastel light lulled her into a sort of trance. Stella was 72 years old and starting to feel the niggling sensation of a midlife crisis. For 58 years, she had worked for the government as a clerical agent, but around a year ago, she made the monumental decision to finally apply to become a parent. Over the years, she had earned enough merits to qualify for a parental license. Moreover, she was in the appropriate financial bracket and after a thorough inspection, her spacious six-bedroom home was approved and given juvenile security clearance. With great excitement, Stella had purchased and installed her very own state-of-the-art pod, an imitation womb, where the owner could watch every moment of gestation and development while controlling fluid levels, light diffusion, nutrition, all from the comfort of their favorite room. Everything had been prepared. There had been only one problem, the waiting list for a child which was long and almost impossible to jump without extensive connections. Stella, tireless worker though she may be, was lacking in influential friends. It wasn't like Stella to break the rules, but the circumstances had appeared to her so effortlessly that she'd found it impossible not to accept. The result was the child floating dreamily in front of her, perfect in every way. Clearly it had been a worthwhile risk. But Stella didn't like to reflect on the night the child had come to her. It made her anxious and sometimes even nauseous. Besides, it was getting late. With one last fond look at the pod, Stella retreated upstairs to try sleeping again. At work the next morning, Stella busied herself by handing out cream-colored invitations to her co-workers. It's a pod-warming party, was scrawled cheerily across the cards in a sumptuous crimson font. Stella's colleague, Helen, poked her head around the partition. Do I get one of those? She demanded playfully, holding out a manicured hand and grabbing at the air expectantly. Stella smiled and handed her a card with an exaggerated flourish. Helen read the invite with narrowed eyes. 
You're growing up, I guess, Helen sighed as she tacked the invitation up on the tiny bulletin board behind her desk. Where did you get yours from? She asked suddenly. Not Willow Park Planning Center. I've heard shady things about that place, she murmured conspiratorially. No, uh, no, it was Dr. Whitmore, over in Platinum Springs, Stella responded vaguely. Then, in a nervous outburst of details, he's very well recommended. He helped me through every step of the process, was such a gentleman, he even took time out from his personal schedule so he could be there for the phenotype selection. But Helen had lost interest, and was now engrossed in her personal planner, her lavender fingernails clacking away on the screen. Stella returned to her work. Helen was immature, she thought to herself. She was vapid, flaky, usually incapable of holding an adult conversation. Still, she really hoped she would be at the podwarming party. Helen was Stella's closest friend. Stella handed the rest of the invitations out to her co-workers during her lunch hour. Most of them offered words of congratulations and support. Empty words, Stella thought, since the majority of them hadn't bothered to talk to her much outside of work or mandatory social functions. The only guest who she really cared about was Lana Goodwin. Not a co-worker, just a woman in her neighborhood, but one you couldn't help wanting to impress. Lana was 76 years old and far more glamorous than any of the other local women. She carried her middle age extraordinarily well with perfectly curled blonde hair, only slightly tinged with silver, framing her oval face and barely visible wrinkles. Unlike Stella, whose figure had turned matronly, Lana had slender legs and a waist that still nipped in girlishly. Lana was also on the board of the local homeowners association. Stella secretly loathed Lana for her overblown sense of importance, yet she couldn't resist inviting her to every social function, every celebration that she held. Lana had to be at this one, especially. The podwarming party was the most important event Stella had ever hosted. After work ended, and she rode public transport home, her mind bubbled excitedly with high hopes for how the event would turn out. Her decorations would be understated yet tasteful, the food light yet satisfying. And she didn't have to worry about what people would think about the child. She knew it was an objectively beautiful creature. I'm home, she called out cheerfully from the foyer, kicking her shoes off and flinging her coat over a chair. She lived alone, of course, but as the months had worn on and she'd gotten more attached to her pod child, Stella had taken to addressing it and even making light conversation when it suited her. It didn't respond, naturally, but its tiny dimpled limbs started jerking at the increased activity in the room. Helen was such a brat at work today, Stella sighed to the pod, passing her hand over the smooth display, briefly checking the nutrition levels in the digital readout, and then continuing into the kitchen, where she started taking saute pans out to prepare dinner. She's so immature. It's like she has no long-term plans for what she wants to do with her life, she continued. Not like you and me. Sometime later, as Stella munched contentedly on mushroom risotto in front of the pod, the child became particularly animated moving its arms and legs in an erratic fashion. Stella grinned and scooted her chair closer. She rarely got to see activity like this due to her long work hours. As she hunched forward, the little face, framed by pale blue light, turned directly towards her and smiled. The eyes were still tightly shut, so it was a dream smile, Stella knew, but her heart skipped a beat nonetheless. It was the first time that had happened. The sweetness lasted only a moment. The toothless smile grew wider, appearing to split the face in two, until it looked pained and unnatural. Both arms extended towards Stella, in what looked like an invitation for a hug, as the black mouth yawned open. Stella stood up swiftly and backed away. As quickly as it had happened, it was over. 
The child withdrew into itself, curling up its limbs. Stella, somewhat shaken by the event for reasons she couldn't pinpoint, retired to bed early. Yellow light from the streets below spilled into her room in horizontal slats, and she jostled her leg restlessly. The party was this weekend, she was nervous, and the child was nearing its one-year pod gestation age. In just a few weeks, it would be appropriate to have it removed. Stella felt her insides clench at the thought of the child wandering around outside the pod. She knew it was irrational of her, but she couldn't shake the wave of sickness that passed over her every time she imagined the child's impending freedom. Her sleep was fitful that night. When the morning light broke over her bed and into her eyes, Stella felt thoroughly unrested, and the coiled sensation in the pit of her stomach remained. Luckily for Stella, planning the details of her podwarming party was enough to stem her anxiety. At the grocery store, while selecting a variety of exotic fresh fruits for her guests, she ran into her neighbor from down the street, Eileen, who gave her a positive RSVP to the party, but then proceeded to launch into an unprovoked tirade about her son, Connor. Eileen was always complaining about Connor. Connor was living in the projects, doing God knows what with God knows who, Eileen would mutter frequently. The last Stella had heard from neighborhood talk, Connor was involved in an exciting, forward-thinking art project that featured consummating couples on tin platforms with a variety of canine companions, but she couldn't be sure. Stella let herself drift as Eileen unloaded. Her gaze wandered over stacks of kumquats and apricots as she recalled the strange activity of the child the night before. Stella? Eileen was staring at her expectantly now. Hmm? Stella started guiltily and tried to feign alertness. I said, when do you get it taken out? Eileen said, a tinge of annoyance in her voice. The pod, she was talking about the pod now. Oh, um, Stella hesitated. In a couple weeks, I think. It's over a year old at this point, so... Well, I think it's up to us when to get them out. Stella was stammering. She felt awkward and hot all over. There's all this research coming out about how prolonged pod gestation results in higher intelligence, athletic capability, increased overall life satisfaction... Stella trailed off. Eileen's perfectly plucked eyebrows were raised. After a pause, she sighed and said, Things were so different when I had Connor taken out. There wasn't this focus on customer desires and setting your own schedule. She looked down. You don't know how lucky you are, Stella. Stella tried to smile supportively. Anyway, said Eileen, running a distracted hand through her hair. I better get going. With that, she brushed past Stella to the dairy aisle. Stella, grateful that the conversation was over, returned her thoughts to canapes and hors d'oeuvres. Later that night, as Stella took her place in her favorite armchair in front of the pod, she found herself thinking about Richard. Her relationship with him had slowly disintegrated over the last year. With no obvious reason for their quiet expiration, just both of them had stopped trying. Late at night, she still missed him on occasion. They'd been together for 15 years. They'd come home from work, visit each other's homes, order Chinese or Indian, watch a film together, Richard would inevitably fall asleep and Stella would watch alone or drift off with him. Richard was never terribly romantic and, even from the beginning of their courtship, had a perfunctory way of wooing her. An obligatory bouquet of roses for their anniversary, a generic card from the grocery store on her birthday, to Stella, love Richard. He had this habit of clearing his throat suddenly and taking his glasses off when he wanted sex which Stella would oblige more often than not, but she couldn't say she'd ever felt passion for him. Their love had always felt a little boring, Stella realized. 
Something in that realization made her heart twinge. She felt a crushing sense of absurdity and busied herself by rising to make tea. Over the last few days, the child had adopted a curious quirk of facing whichever direction Stella was in, like a flower to the sun. As Stella got up and moved from her armchair to the kitchen, the child silently pivoted to face her. Normally, Stella would find such behavior endearing, but as she returned to the armchair with a steaming mug of tea, the child's sleeping face positioned perfectly before her, she couldn't help but feel chilly and uncomfortable. Did the child also follow her movements when she was upstairs and out of sight, swiveling to face Stella's location like a compass pointing north? She stood up suddenly. Finishing her tea in her bedroom seemed like a much better prospect. After a bit of light reading in her bed, she fell asleep easily that night, soothed by the promise of the party the next day. Morning dawned, sunny and clear-skied. Stella couldn't have hoped for better weather. She rose excitedly from bed and spent the next few hours busily stringing banners and silk flowers throughout her parlor, where the pod was positioned front and center. The child floated peacefully amidst the tasteful decorations. Guests started arriving at noon, just as scheduled. Stella, who had taken a few moments to slip into a slinky blue cocktail dress, walked cheerfully among them, beaming with pride as they examined the pod. Her heart skipped a beat when the door opened and Lana Goodwin breezed in, positively radiant in an emerald sundress and a set of stacked golden bracelets on her wrist. It's just lovely, Stella, Lana cooed, gazing admiringly at the glowing pod and the tiny child suspended in fluid. She lifted an elegant hand, sparkling with several precious stones, and placed it on the small of Stella's back. You must be so proud. Stella was proud. It's so nice of you to be here, Lana, she said graciously, carrying a silver tray of assorted hors d'oeuvres, encouraging various guests to socialize with one another, watching them stare intermittently at the glowing child in the pod. Stella couldn't remember a time when she had been happier. She looked around the room, and noticed a few co-workers chatting by the wine selections, Helen, engrossed in her phone, and her nephew, Ben, standing in the corner with his arms crossed and conversing to two family friends in hushed undertones. His eye caught Stella's and he grinned, raising his eyebrows towards the pod. Stella ducked her head and broke eye contact, trying to indicate that now was not a good time, but Ben had already crossed the room and was at her side now. Looking beautiful, isn't it? he said in a low voice with an air of pride, gesturing to the pod. I think I did a pretty good job. Stella shook her head urgently at him. Not here, she muttered, checking to see that no one was within earshot. You should lighten up and enjoy the party, said Ben. He winked and strode off. <gasps> there was an exclamation of delight from somewhere in the room, followed by a rush of footsteps and a few excited gasps. It's opening its eyes, a woman squealed. Stella felt as if her heart had stopped, moving its limbs, grasping at things, smiling. Stella had seen all of that, but opening its eyes was something new. She felt vaguely hurt that this momentous occasion was happening in front of all her guests, instead of just between the two of them. But she shook the feeling away and walked briskly to the pod, still holding her tray of food. She saw the child open-eyed for the first time, and as she gazed at it, a curious sensation washed over her. Her vision clouded, and everything became fuzzy and indistinct. Am I getting sick? She wondered to herself briefly, before her thoughts melted away until she couldn't grasp them. She was in a circular chamber, 
staring at a crowd of shadowy figures all around her through a film of misty blue. Some of them were pointing at her excitedly. Her hands were curled into fists, and she was trying to convey something very important to them, something they weren't capable of understanding. In the distance, there was a sudden resounding clatter of metal. Stella! Somebody clapped Stella on the back and she started. She had dropped her hostess tray, and pieces of smoked salmon, goat cheese, and walnuts lay strewn about her shoes and across the floor. She turned and found herself face to face with Helen. Couldn't contain your excitement, huh? said Helen loudly. A few of Stella's guests laughed sympathetically. She was mortified, absolutely humiliated. Lana would never have let such a spectacle happen at one of her social gatherings. Mumbling something to Helen and smiling insincerely at her guests, many of whom turned their attention back to the pod, Stella ducked down to pick up the decimated hors d'oeuvres. Well, that was quick, someone in the crowd said. A few laughs sounded and everyone started to dissipate towards the drinks or food. Stella lifted her gaze from the floor and saw that the child's eyes were again closed. Whatever had happened, it had been short-lived. Stella struggled to enjoy the party after that. She could feel Lana's eyes on her occasionally, and she knew she was probably judging her abysmal hosting skills, but there was nothing that could be done. The evening was a failure to Stella, but she just wanted it to end. You will never guess what happened in the season finale. Helen had materialized in front of Stella, munching on a tea biscuit. Helen was obsessed with this show, Joie de Vivre, which boasted an impressive 31 seasons of women who competed to spend a week on a deserted island with a harem of muscular, non-English-speaking 27-year-old men. But Stella never got to find out what happened on Joie de Vivre's season finale, because behind Helen, her gaze suddenly focused on Lana and Ben conversing intimately together by the fireplace. As far as Stella knew, the two had never been introduced and would have little reason to know each other. Yet they seemed thick as thieves at the moment. Lana threw her head back and laughed at some unheard joke, placing her manicured hand on Ben's forearm. Ben leaned forward and murmured something in her ear. An alarm was going off in Stella's head. What were they talking about? Why were they so chummy? They couldn't possibly have much in common, other than the fact that they both knew Stella. But she didn't have the nerve to interrupt them, so instead, she glanced at the pair intermittently while sorting party favors restlessly. Their conversation went on for at least ten minutes. After what seemed like an eternity, they broke apart. Stella exchanged a few last pleasantries with co-workers. Guests started to trickle out, Lana being one of the first to leave. Soon, it was just her and Helen. Stella kicked off her heels and put her feet up on the sofa, surveying the drooping flowers, empty cups, and wrappers strewn about. Helen prattled on about workplace drama between her and her project manager. The child seemed less animated since the eye-opening, and floated quite unremarkably, though still facing Stella's direction. "'When you gonna get it taken out?' Helen asked suddenly through a mouthful of chocolate almonds. Stella sighed irritably. "'I don't have an exact date or anything,' she responded. "'I think it's just up to us to set our own schedule.' Helen furrowed her brow. "'I figured you'd be antsy by now,' she said with a shrug. "'You were always talking about how excited you were to get it out last year.' Knowing you, you would have gotten it out ages ago. Well, maybe you don't know me as well as you think, Stella snapped. Helen got up from her chair. I'll just leave you to it then, she huffed, pausing to grab a party favor in her coat before she let the front door close behind her. Stella sat in the stillness, feeling a twinge of regret and loneliness. 
She stood up. The party remains could be cleaned tomorrow, or she could hire a service to do it. She needed a good night's sleep after all the entertaining. But sleep was far away that night. Stella had plenty of thoughts to keep her up. And though she was rigorous about avoiding this memory, the night she had obtained the child bubbled ominously at the edge of her thoughts, and she felt herself reliving it against her better judgment. I told you already, you don't have anything to worry about, Ben had drawled, his eyes narrowing in irritation. I've done this before. Ben was the son of Marie, Stella's sister, who she didn't really talk to anymore after a falling out over Marie's boyfriend. It was odd that Ben was still in her life at all, but the kid had a habit of keeping himself entwined in each family member's business, and seemed to make it his job to dig up personal details. It was Ben who had reached out to Stella and indicated he knew her situation. Stella wasn't too surprised. One of her cousins lived in her neighborhood, another cousin was a co-worker, so as the months of fruitless waiting dragged on, family gossip was bound to get out. Over dinner at a local eatery, Ben had outlined the details of his plan for obtaining a child, a plan which Stella initially thought was ill-advised, but desperation had dimmed the harshness of it with each passing week. Ben had been aggressively confident about the process. Her nephew was 46 years old, just a kid, really, with barely any credits to his name. But he had a shrewd, calculating air about him, and family members had rumored he had connections to underground markets and bigwigs. In the past, Stella had wanted to know as little about that as possible. But then, she had agreed to become entangled in it. The plan was simple on Stella's end. A specific sum had to be paid in full, which Stella provided. She already had her pod set up and calibrated to the proper details. What do you get out of this? Stella had asked Ben at one point. I take care of my family, he responded proudly. And you'll owe me a favor, he added with a smirk. Ben promised that delivery would take place on the 27th at 9 o'clock in the evening. All Stella had to do was be at home at that time, ready to answer the door. But in the early morning hours of the 26th, Stella was roused from sleep by an unexpected phone call. Still groggy, she picked up with confusion. Change of plans, Ben had growled from the other end, and Stella felt her heart quicken as panic set in. How so? What happened? No response. Ben? Stella yelled. She heard indistinct muttering and, from the background, a man's voice yelling. Then, I'm going to be at your place in an hour, give or take. Don't turn on any lights, and let me in when I knock. Click. The line went dead. The ensuing minutes were an agony of nail-biting and pacing. A million thoughts flew through Stella's head, but predominantly she felt total regret. This had been a harebrained scheme from the beginning, and she should never have agreed to it. But what could she do now? An hour passed, then another. Stella was on her fourth mug of tea and starting to fear the worst when she heard resounding knocks from the back door. She ran to it and quickly let Ben in. He carried an unmarked white capsule, roughly the length of his arm. A tiny rectangular screen on the capsule blinked with blue numbers indicating stats and levels that Stella couldn't identify. Wow, she breathed, extending her arms to the capsule. Careful with it, said Ben, passing it gently to her. You don't want to drop this. The capsule felt incredibly smooth, and Stella's shaking hands ran back and forth across it. Somehow, the longer she held it, the warmer it became and as her heart skipped faster and faster, the capsule seemed to pulse from within. The nervousness, tension, and fear from the preceding hours melted away as Stella caressed her prize, forgotten and forgiven for the time being. 
Together, they walked to the parlor, where the pod waited expectantly. Stella opened a tiny cylindrical door on the outside of the pod, and lovingly fed the capsule into a pneumatic tube. After a brief sterilization process, the capsule was spit out into the pod's fluid, where it floated dreamily for a few moments. The pod's digital readout began blinking rapidly, and the capsule split neatly down the middle, its parts falling gracefully away and revealing the pink, twitching creature within. There you have it, said Ben, hands on his hips, grinning with smug pleasure. Thank you, breathed Stella. She couldn't take her eyes away from the tiny thing, her tiny thing. You don't know how much this means to me, she said. Then, as an afterthought, can I get you something? Do you want coffee or, or, or anything? Ben shook his head. After another pause, what did I tell you? Nothing to worry about. He gestured proudly to the pod's new inhabitant. I told you I'd take care of it. He withdrew from his pocket a thin piece of tempered glass, upon which glowed statistics and characteristics. The child's phenotype, Stella realized. She read it with utmost care, envisioning each trait and turning them over in her mind. Female, blonde, hazel, left dimple. Ben left shortly after. It was four in the morning by this point. The inky black sky was starting to lighten ever so slightly. Stella was seated in her easy chair, staring tirelessly at the breathing pinkish lump of flesh, breathless with excitement and wonder. That had been almost a year ago. Stella had felt less excitement and more anxiety in these past few days than she had all year. She tossed in her bed, readjusted her eye mask, but sleep didn't come easily. Stella slept poorly for the rest of the weekend. When Monday dawned, overcast and gloomy, Stella decided to alert her boss that she would be needing an uncharacteristic sick day. She bundled herself in a warm sweater for a walk around the neighborhood. She needed time outside of the house, away from the pod. The last thing she wanted at this point was company, but as she rounded the cul-de-sac at the end of her street, she saw Lana approaching, walking her manicured lapdog. "'You're not looking well, dear,' Lana tutted sympathetically as she approached. She tucked a stray hair from Stella's bun behind her ear. Why don't you come back with me and Valentina, have a little pick-me-up? I'm a bit worried about you, she said with syrupy kindness. No, no, Stella shook her head. Thanks, though. I've just had a lot on my mind lately. I really need to be getting back home, she said distractedly. Getting cold feet about the pod, hmm? Lana smirked knowingly. It's not too late to change your mind. It is, though, Stella muttered forlornly without thinking. She immediately regretted her candidness. Lana was never supposed to see her weaknesses, or at least she was never supposed to hear them from her own mouth. It took her a few moments to realize that Lana was brandishing a light blue contact card in front of her. His name's Dr. Vanderbilt, said Lana. Stella mutely took the card. Tell him you're a friend of mine. Just talk to him. You might be surprised. Lana patted Stella on the shoulder, turned, and sashayed smoothly down the cobblestone walkway back to her home. Stella continued down the path to her own house, her feet dragging. She dreaded walking through the front door to greet the pod, and at the same time, she felt an extreme urgency to see it and ensure everything was as it should be. Lana was being condescending, Stella decided. She wasn't getting cold feet. 
She'd thought about this major life decision for years, had planned out scenarios in her head, reserved finances and specific accounts, lovingly prepared her home. She wasn't going to back out now. She walked through the front door, glancing hastily at the pod through her peripheral vision. Everything looked the same as far as she could tell. Good. She breezed past it, heading directly for the stairs. A nice hot bath would do wonders for her nerves. But a long bath and a fluffy robe hadn't cured anything, she realized an hour later, as she lay on her bed jiggling her leg and flipping aimlessly through an old romance novel. Her hand reached for her phone and, as she stared at the glowing screen, she slipped Lana's contact card from her nightstand and dialed the number. Dr. Vanderbilt was an oily man. His skin shone from the overhead lighting, and he had white blonde hair slicked back across his head. When he spoke, his words poured nasally out from his prominent wide nose, upon which sat brown horn-rimmed glasses that he adjusted frequently. We provide modifications or mods to your pod, he was explaining unctuously to Stella, who sat in an uncomfortable beige high-backed chair across from his enormous desk. Most pods have internal editing systems that allow for skilled engineers to create customizations to its functions, he said. Stella nodded along, understanding nothing. But still, she knew this was close to what she wanted. Do you have a specific mod in mind? he asked Stella, smiling pleasantly at her over steepled fingers. We can accommodate a wide range of requests and needs. Stella took a moment to collect her thoughts. Is there a way to keep it inside? She asked haltingly. Just sustain it, the way it is now, but forever? Dr. Vanderbilt looked mildly perplexed. A long-term stasis feature is a relatively easy mod, he nodded. We've had clients request this in cases of unexpected fetal health developments or pod damage. But what you're asking for is permanent stasis, I gather? Stella nodded breathlessly. Dr. Vanderbilt removed a ream of paperwork from the bottom drawer of his desk and flipped through a few pages. I'm obliged to warn you that the longer a child is kept in stasis mode, the lower its likelihood of long-term survival outside of the pod, Dr. Vanderbilt recited unexcitedly. There will not be any further development. It will be fixed. More decorative than interactive, if you will. Does that sound agreeable to you? He looked up from his disclaimer. Stella nodded quickly. A great leaden weight over her heart felt miraculously lifted. Yes, yes, that's exactly what I want. Good, he said curtly. I'll schedule you in. Today? Stella blurted out. She recoiled inwardly at how desperate she sounded. I can have a team sent over tomorrow afternoon, Dr. Vanderbilt responded, and without waiting for affirmation, proceeded to schedule her in. He ushered her out to the waiting area, where a receptionist handed her more paperwork, items to be signed, forms to fill out on the details of her pod's model, make, and year. Tomorrow, then, Stella said to the receptionist, who blinked dully at her and handed her an appointment card. She bought dinner from a cafe on the way home. This time tomorrow, the pod would be fixed. The thought bolstered Stella's mood, and she entered her house with less tension than she had in a long while. As she passed the parlor, the child in the pod turned to face her as usual, but it didn't bother her as much this evening. She kicked off her shoes and slowly made her way up the stairs for an early bedtime. Sometime later, Stella's eyes blinked open to the moonlit darkness of her room. She turned to the familiar blue light of her clock, 3.52 a.m. 
Her left leg twitched restlessly. She wasn't sure what had disturbed her. But she didn't feel tired at all. Actually, she was wide awake for the first time in days. She sat up suddenly in bed and knew what she needed to do. Downstairs in the parlor, the pod glowed a calming light pink. Stella flipped on a small desk lamp and leaned against the doorframe. The child would be different from tomorrow onwards. But Stella knew it would be better this way, continuing on as they had always done, without any more concerning developments or the pressing urge of extraction. She approached the pod and stood in front of it, letting her hand trail gently over the smooth surface, her eyes roaming over each detail of the sleeping child. She stopped as she saw her own reflection in the pod. Her hair was a mess, and her face was more haggard than she was used to, but there was a hopefulness in her eyes that gave her a sense of inner peace. She tucked a few strands of limp hair behind her ear and smiled. It took her a few moments to realize that the child's eyes had opened and were staring directly at Stella with perfect serenity. Stella stared back, frozen with surprise. In the shining depths of the child's eyes, she saw flickering within a nameless intelligence. Terrified by this realization, she tried to turn away, but her body felt welded to the spot, incapable of moving. There was a hissing sound in her ears, and her vision blurred in and out. Somehow she was inside the pod now. A warm, liquid sensation flowed across her body. She blinked rapidly, kicking her legs in a sudden panic. But her body had become small and weightless, and her legs seemed to move in slow motion. Through the pink fluid which blurred her eyes, she vaguely saw herself moving with mechanical precision, turn her back, and walk out of the room. The door was shut, the light went dark, and she fell away, submerged by the pod's liquid depths. Phantom Space Funhouse is produced by Nate Gutman and Kim Scharfenberger. Pod Dreams was written and read by Kim Scharfenberger and composed by Nate Gutman. Please follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Phantom Space Pod and leave us a five-star review in iTunes. That really helps people find us. Also, if you like the show, please consider supporting us financially through Patreon. In return, you'll get bonus episodes, access to episode dossiers, and our undying affection, of course. If you have questions or comments or just want to chat, you can write to us at phantomspacefunhouse at gmail.com or visit us at phantomspacefunhouse.com. Thanks for listening.